Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Bible reading is from Romans 8, starting at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me pray for us as we come to look at this passage together. Our Father God, as we look at these verses, we pray that your word would be our guide, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you, what difference does being a Christian make during hard times? Uh, We're living through a worldwide pandemic at the moment that's turned life upside down for most of us. And what difference does knowing Christ make in the middle of a situation like that? I've spoken to people in the last few weeks who were, were burdened by anxiety over the situation. I've spoken to someone about how distant they feel from God and, and frankly, how hard they find it just to make it through the day at the moment. I think of one dear Christian friend who described the trauma they'd experienced because racism was in the news and it, it brought back all of the experiences of racial prejudice they'd had in their life. And how does knowing Christ make a difference in the mess of a broken world in the middle of a pandemic? Uh, Just over 10 years ago, I got married to my wife, Jess. And if I can put it like this, the greatest blessing of marrying Jess was that I got her as my wife. But there were lots of other blessings that came with it too. Um, I got a new family, my in-laws, no jokes please. Uh, I got a new home, we moved to a new area and started a new life together. Now in Romans 1 to 8, Paul has been laying out the blessings that come through trusting Jesus as your king and rescuer. Uh, He's laid out that if you trust Jesus, you're joined to him spiritually by faith. And the best thing about that is that you get him, you get to know him. 
But he's laid out um, all through Romans 8 that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, a whole load of blessings that come with knowing him. Uh, we get a new status before God in Romans 8 verse 1. We, we get the Holy Spirit who gives us a new mind and a new life. We get a new family. We get to call God not just creator, but father. And we get a new hope. Uh, we get to look forward to his beautiful and perfect new creation where there'll be no more suffering or pain or crying or death anymore. But how do these blessings make a difference day to day in the mess? As we come to our passage, Paul draws everything together and he says, listen, this is how you respond. This is the difference it makes. This is the big outbox of all of the blessings of Romans 8 and in fact of the whole letter Have a look down at Romans 8, verse 31 with me. What then shall we say in response to these things? How should you respond? What difference does it make? Well, here is the big thing that Paul wants to convince us of today. That God is for you. If you're trusting Jesus, if you're joined to Jesus by faith, God is for you. Have a look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, he's not saying that no one will oppose you as a Christian. Of course not. Plenty of people might. But that no one can triumph because God is for you. He's with you. He's got your back. He loves you with an unbreakable love. And he's going to show us that no one and nothing can persuade him to stop loving you. Or turn his back on you. God is for you. Um, To prove it, he points to the death of Jesus Christ. Just look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Do you see the argument there? God has given us the most precious person in his world, his own son, how can we doubt that he is fully committed to us, all in for us, and that he will get us to his perfect new world? And when Paul says that God gave him up for us, he probably has in mind the story of Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament book of Genesis. Uh, You may know the story. Abraham was an elderly man. He had this one son that he loved, Isaac. And God tested Abraham to see if he was really committed to him, if he really loved him. He said, I want you to sacrifice your one beloved son, Isaac. The story is told slowly. As Abraham and Isaac, this old man and his teenage son, walk up the mountain. You can feel Abraham's agony as he thinks about the cost of giving up his, his one beloved son. But in the end, he decides that he loves God so much that he's willing. And of course, just at the last minute, the Lord stops him. And the Lord says this to Abraham. He says, now I know that you will withhold nothing from me because you're willing to give me your one son who you love. And it's just a picture of God's commitment to us in that story. His one and only son, Jesus, his beloved, he was willing for him to step down into history 
and go to a cross and sacrifice himself for us. How could we doubt that God is all in for us? That he'll give us everything we need when he was willing to give us the most precious person in his world. And so Paul says, know that God is for you if you're trusting in Jesus. That he loves you with an unbreakable love. He unpacks that in two ways in the passage. Firstly, he shows us that if you're trusting God, if you're trusting Christ, God will never condemn you. If you're trusting Christ, God will never condemn you. Um, Through verses 31 to 34, Paul uses lots of law court imagery. Uh, His three questions walk us through the legal process. Uh, Look at verse 31. There's someone against us. In verse 33, there's someone who brings a charge against God's people. They accuse us. And then in verse 34, someone who condemns. And you see, Paul's point isn't that no one will accuse Christians. No, there are no shortage of applicants to do that. As Christians, often we accuse ourselves, don't we? Uh, Maybe there's There's some sin in your past and it weighs heavily on your conscience and you just find yourself thinking, surely God couldn't accept someone like me. I've been struck how our consciences don't care about time frame. You you can wake up in the middle of the night thinking of something you said 10 years ago and feel deeply ashamed about it. We accuse ourselves. Other people might accuse us. Perhaps there's someone who you've, you've hurt or um, uh, you've offended in some way and they've said to you, how can you call yourself a Christian when you did that? And of course, the devil will certainly point the finger at us and whisper in our ear, you've done it again, haven't you? You made a resolution that you'd never commit that sin again and yet here we are. Surely you don't think you can crawl back into God's presence now. No, there are plenty of people who'll accuse us. But hear the assurance of verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. You know, in heaven's courtroom, the one person who matters, the Lord God, has declared you in the right with him. That's what it means to be justified, to be declared in the right if you've trusted in Jesus. Look how Paul unpacks the logic in verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life. Let's pause on that for a minute. Christ Jesus who died. You know, we deserve to be condemned by God. But the punishment has already fallen on Jesus. He was condemned in our place. And we can trust him by saying we want that to be for us. But more than that, he was raised to life. The resurrection overturned the guilty verdict against Jesus. He was sentenced to death for our sin, but God put that sentence into reverse. He declared publicly that Christ's sacrifice had been effective by raising him from the dead. And even more than that, in verse 34, Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, I don't know if you like legal dramas. I love a good courtroom drama. 
You know, whether it's a few good men or silk or suits, whatever it is, I love the tension. You know, you've got two sides making arguments before the judge and there's someone in the dock and the jury are going to decide their fate and the stakes are high. And I love that tension. But, but in God's courtroom, there is no tension or drama. Just imagine the scene for a moment. You're in the dock in heaven's courtroom and the accusations come. That thing that you did, that you're ashamed of, the words that you said, the loving thing you failed to do, and the worst of it is that every accusation is true. But then your defense lawyer stands up. It's the Lord Jesus. He points to the nail marks in his hand and he says, Father, I died for that sin and that one and that one, them all. The price has been paid. I was condemned in his place. And so the price of sin no longer needs to be paid. You see, it would make a terrible legal drama because there's no tension at all. But it's fantastic news for moral failures like you and me. And maybe there is some sin that has been burned onto your conscience And deep down, you find yourself wondering, could God really accept someone like me when I did that? Well, hear what Paul is saying here. If you trust Jesus, if you ask him for that sacrifice to be for you, God will never condemn you. He'll never send you away, for the price has already been paid. And it's been declared to be paid in the resurrection. And Jesus stands at God's right hand to declare it even today, that God will never condemn you. And so look, you can bring all your mess and all your moral failure, all of your guilt and all of your shame to God and know that he will welcome you with open arms. Now, so often our doubts and our struggles in the Christian life come from the fact we look down at our failures and not up to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Because when we look to him, we see that if you're trusting Christ, God will never condemn you. But then secondly, Paul says that if you trust Christ, God will never stop loving you. Uh, Look at his fourth question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... Now, why does Paul list all of these things? I take it it's because Christians can and will experience many of them, and that when we do, we'll find ourselves asking, does God still love me, or has he turned his back on me in my situation? Now, of course, there are some churches that will tell you, if you really trust God, that you'll have health and wealth, and that you'll have a trouble-free life. I remember visiting a church once where um, the preacher said explicitly, if you trust God enough, he will heal you. And if he doesn't heal you, you're not trusting enough. And I remember thinking, how cruel to burden people with that. When Paul says quite explicitly here in Romans 8, that Christians will face trouble and hardship Now, there's the the ordinary trouble that comes from living in a broken world. You don't need me to tell you that Christians get sick, 
get coronavirus, face injustice. Christians around the world face hunger, financial difficulties. We will face all of the ordinary suffering that comes from living in a broken world. But more than that, Paul says we also suffer opposition because of our faith. That's the point of the quote in verse 36. For your sake, we face death all day long. See, Paul quotes Psalm 44, and in that psalm, the writer says that he is trusting God, but it's because of his faith in God that he's suffering. For your sake, we face death all day long. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we face suffering and hard times as Christians. Look, if you expect God to give you a comfortable, affluent, healthy, middle-class lifestyle with no trouble, you will be disappointed because he's never promised you that. No, the Bible is quite realistic that we will face hard times in this life, in this broken and sin-shattered world. And if you're expecting otherwise, when suffering comes, it could really rock your faith. And so let's take this on board. We shouldn't be surprised by suffering. But here is the thing that God does promise you. You can know that in every situation you face, God will never stop loving you. He loves you. He is for you. Look at verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, notice, it's not from all of these things that, like God, will lift us out of suffering. It's in all of these things we're more than conquerors. You know, a conqueror is someone who overcomes all the obstacles. You know, if you say, I conquered Everest, you mean that you got past every obstacle in the way and you got to the top of that mountain. And Paul says that because Christ loved us, no obstacle will ultimately prevent us from God getting us to that eternal glory in his new creation. He told us that in verses 28 to 30. But he says that we're more than conquerors. And that's because in verses 28 to 30, Paul has also said that God can even use the terrible things that happen in this life for our good, to make us like Christ and get us ready for that glory. So it's not just that he'll get us there, but he can even use evil things for our good along the way. Now, don't hear me wrong. God doesn't cause bad things to happen. We live in a broken world. We sin. We're sinned against. There's all sorts of reasons why we might suffer. But God is in charge. And mysteriously, he allows these things to happen. And he can even use them for good. And listen, as Paul writes this, he's not saying it glibly from an ivory tower. If you read the New Testament, Paul experienced all the different things that he mentions in verse 35 personally. The Christians he's writing to were probably experiencing many of them. That's why he wrote this. You might be listening this morning and you feel crushed by your situation. Maybe you can't begin to see how God might be at work in the things you're going through. And, and you know, maybe you never will in this life. But Paul says, when you see the love of Jesus for you on the cross, you can know that God loves you in every circumstance that you face. He's in charge. 
And he holds our lives in hands that were pierced for us. Even when he feels distant, we are on his heart and he holds us in hands that were pierced for us. And so Paul concludes, verse 38, I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear how comprehensive that list is? Uh, Paul says nothing in life or death, no powers, no place and no time can separate us from this great love that God has for us his commitment to us. It might be that you feel like you're going through an incredibly hard time at the moment, perhaps some deep depression that you've fallen into. Maybe you are bearing the burden of anxiety or some other trauma and times feel dark and and God feels distant and you just think, how could he love me? And yet we don't need to feel his love to know that it's true. Because Paul says there is nothing that you're experiencing that can separate you from the love of God. We are on his heart and our lives are held in hands that were pierced for us. There's no situation where he'll stop loving us, get fed up with us, turn away from us. Maybe you've moved to a new place and you feel almost literally far from God in this new place where you live. And yet there is nowhere that can separate you from the love of God. And so as I close, let me just say this. It might be that um, this morning, as you listen to this, it's easy to believe that God loves you because your circumstances are good. It feels like blessings just fall down from heaven into your lap. Well, Well, let me say this. If we rest our security in our relationship with God on our moral achievement or on our circumstances and our situation. That is a very fragile foundation indeed. Because if we're honest, we will fail God. And we know that suffering will come. And so please don't look to those things for your security. Paul says that when we look at Jesus, when we trust him, we can be certain that God will never condemn us. He'll never stop loving us, and only there. But I guess there'll be many watching this morning, and you know precisely what it is to feel weighed down by anxiety or guilt or shame, to feel the the heavy weight of depression or trauma. And if that's you, this is an assurance that can be and should be for every Christian. When you look at the sacrifice of Jesus you see that God will never condemn you. He'll never stop loving you. He will hold you fast all the way to our heavenly home in that wonderful new creation. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we pray that you would convince and assure our hearts of this truth. We thank you so much for your great love for us, shown in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us today and this week and for the rest of our lives to believe it 
and to have a rock-solid confidence in our relationship with you because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.